Good morning. It's lovely to see um, all your beautiful faces this morning. Um, this is your first time. Again, welcome. Um, we're going to be going through the book of Hebrews, um, chapter 11. We've been going through this for the past few weeks and examining uh, a passage famous for sort of mentioning heroes of the faith. Um, today, we're going to be looking at a relationship between faith and great sacrifice. And we're going to be looking at it through the lens um, of the life of a man um, known as Abraham, who is regarded as the father of faith. And so, um, if you have your Bible with me, I would encourage you to um, bring it out and then open to um, Hebrews chapter 11. We're going to be looking at a couple of verses in there, uh, or three verses, 17, 18, and 19. And then I'm going to go a bit later into um, the life of Abraham in Genesis 22. Um, I just want to encourage you, um, if you're not used to it, to, to um, get a Bible if you don't have one. Um, if you're struggling to get a Bible, speak to someone around the church, one of the guys walking around, and I'm sure something we can do to arrange um, you having a Bible. And the reason I say that is that Bible is so rich. Um, it is really um, a book um, for life um, and of life. It's a life-giving book. And so it's, we miss out so much when we um, don't get ourselves into the Word of God. So I'd encourage you to make it a, a personal um, a habit of yours to get into the Bible frequently um, because God has so much in store for us in this book here. So I'm going to be reading from Hebrews 11, um, 17 to 19. If you don't have a Bible, it's going to be displayed um, on the screen to my right and to my left. And so it says, By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had not received promises, the promises, was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, Through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able to raise him from the dead, from which figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. And Father, we thank you because your word is living. We thank you because your word is sharper than any two-edged sword. We thank you because your word is to give life to your people. It's a lamp unto our feet. And Lord, we just pray, O oh God, that as your word comes today, that you would elevate the faith of your people, that we would not be the same again, and that we would be fruitful in this life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, so um, I, I felt like it would be useful today to give you a good overview of the life of Abraham. What we just read um, now is a very famous passage um, or a very famous um, chapter in the life of Abraham, where Abraham had gone all his life in anticipation of having a child. And when he does have this son, um, God asks him to sacrifice his son to him. But before we go on from there, I think it's useful to go back a little bit about the life of Abraham, who he was, and what was his motivation. And so if you want to know more about the life of Abraham, I'll encourage you to look um, into the book of Genesis um, from chapter 12 to chapter 22. Um, it details his life and his journey. So Abraham was a a Mesopotamian nomad who came from an area um, in modern-day Iraq. Um, he left his father's household upon the call of God 
God said to him, leave your father's house and I'm going to make you a great nation. And Abraham listened and he, he acted on that. That was a big deal for back then because the world had just been separated. People had been divided into languages at that time. So everybody stayed in their own clique, in their own tribe, in their own group. And so the idea of you leaving your father's household and moving to a foreign land was a strange thing, was going against the grain. So this was the first faith marker of Abraham's life. He obeyed God in that. And there's a funny quirk about Abraham. Abraham. His original name was Abram, which is A-B-R-A-M. And that name meant high father, right? And this was a man whose name meant high father, but he was fatherless. He was a living contradiction. Although he was one of the most wealthiest men in that part of the world at that time, he had no one to pass on his wealth to. But God had promised him he promised him in Genesis 15, 5 to 6, that he would make his descendants like the stars, as numerous as the stars of heaven. So Abraham and his wife came up with this idea that after many years, this promise never came through. And they were thinking, maybe, maybe we've been looking at this the wrong around. Maybe we need to help God. And so they came up with an idea of um, Sarai, who was Abraham's wife, um, and, and her name was Sarai at the time before God changed to Sarah. Um, and, and they thought, you know what? Let Sarai give her slave um, girl to Abraham to bear a child for him. And that child, who would technically in that time be owned by Sarai because she was the mistress, she was the, she was the owner of, of the slave, Hagar, we, they, they thought that if we did it this way and Abraham had a child through Hagar, who was owned by Sarai, then that meant that Abraham would have an, an heir and they would have fulfilled God's promise. And so they went through this whole plan and concoction and, and, and came to the point where, you know, Hagar got pregnant, she had a son, they named him Ishmael, and they thought, great, at the age of 86, Abraham had his male son, who, was going to, who Abraham thought, this is the one that's going to um, inherit all my wealth. And then 13 years later, God commands Abraham again at the age of 99 and said to him, Abraham, walk before me and be blameless. And, then, and it says that we're going to make a covenant, you and I. And I'm going to make your descendants as, 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 a, multi, as a multitude of the stars of the heaven. And said to Abraham, as a marker of our covenant, I want you and every male in your household to be circumcised at the age of 99. And the interesting thing, the most interesting thing about that was not so much the circumcision part of it, because that, that has its own weirdness, but was the fact that it says, that very day, Abraham, that very day, Abraham circumcised himself, his son, and every male in his household. And I thought, how many people here, if you heard the voice of God very clearly, I want you to circumcise yourself. You consult your doctor. <laughs> you go see a shrink. I think I'm hearing voices. I said, that very day, that's faith. That's, that's incredible. And God said to him, about this time next year, after you've been circumcised, you're going to have a son. And so at the age of 100 years, and, and, and in, in fact, that passage is so funny because when Abraham heard that, Abraham was said, he said, Abraham put his face to the floor and he laughed. He says, he says would I have a son at this age? Would Sarai at the age of 91 have a son. Why? It's ludicrous. 
was satire. He laughed. When Sarah heard God said the same thing, she laughed. Because it was ridiculous. And so God says, no, you will have a son, and you're going to call him Laughter, Isaac. And so Abraham believed God. If you say you're going to do it, that's on you. And then after Isaac was born, and a few months later when Isaac was weaned, God says to Abraham, I want you to let go of your first son. I want you to send him away. And it's the first time he says in the Bible, and I find this very interesting also, he says the thing displeased Abraham. That's the first time I heard a command from God displeasing Abraham. And God said to him, don't be displeased. I'm going to make him a great nation. There will be 12 princes that come out of Ishmael. I'm going to look after him. And so what does Abraham do? He says, very early in the morning. Abraham didn't give time to argue against God. Very early in the morning, he went. He gave them water. He gave them bread. And he sent them on their way. It wasn't easy for Abraham. So we see these faith markers. And then, many years later, many years later, God asks Abraham for one more thing. At this point, if you said to Abraham, if Abraham came to you and said, I left my father's household, I got circumcised at the age of 99, I've let go of my first son, you don't question Abraham's faith. You say, mate, you're doing far better than I am. But God asks him one more thing. We see in the book of Genesis 22. I'm going to read it very quickly. So um, follow along with me. It says, and after these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. And he said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac, and he cut the wood for the burnt offering, and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to the young men, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. And they went both of them together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father. And he said, here I am, son. He said, behold, the fire and the wood. But where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, the God will provide himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they both of them went together. And when they came to the place where God had told him, Abraham built there an altar. And laid the wood in order and bound in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abram reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here I am. And he said, Do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God seeing that you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of the place 
the Lord will provide, as it is said to this day, on the mountain of the Lord it shall be provided. Wow. Abraham believed God to the point that he was ready to offer his own son as a sacrifice. Question that came to my mind is, what could possibly have been going through the mind of this man? He had lived all his life. At this point, he was well over 100 years old. So the chances of him giving birth, it's, it's, you know, it's non-existent. But God has said to him, God said to him explicitly, that your offspring shall be named through Isaac. And yet God is saying, sacrifice Isaac. I'm like, what, is, what must be going through Abraham's mind? But Paul helps us to understand in Hebrews 11 that we just read, or, or the author of Hebrews. I, I, I always say Paul because in my mind I keep thinking he, he was probably the author. We don't know for sure. But the author of the book of Hebrews helps us to understand that Abraham believed that God was able to raise Isaac from the dead. I thought, that's interesting. So Abraham was willing for his son to be sacrificed, but he was convinced because he knew God said, he is the one that will bring your offspring. And so Abraham's like, if I sacrifice him, what does that mean? That means that, well, he has to be alive. That means God must resurrect him. And so for three days, Abraham walked with his son, walked with his son. And each day he looked at our boy and considered him dead. Considered him dead for three days. And on the third day, <laughs> the very last minute, his son was given back to him. So what does this mean? We talk about faith. It's a word we use a lot. It's a word that is um, very popular even in contemporary society. I have faith. People say I have faith. What is faith? We, we hear that faith is the evidence of things hoped for, conviction of things not seen. It's the textbook biblical answer to what is faith. Faith is really being convinced that God is who he is and that he will do what he says he will do. That's what faith is. Being convinced that he is who he is and he will do what he says he will do. But faith, faith always, always is accompanied by sacrifice. Anyone that tells you I have faith and I have faith so I can have a good life, that person is lying to you. Faith must be accompanied by sacrifice. Why? Because faith is not simply a thought. It's a call to action. We modern Christians have, we're so, especially in the West, we are so at ease in the West. For us, it's get faith and that's it. Everything is sorted out. But our faith in God is to be called to a life sacrifice. Faith is not like a, a badge we wear, a passive badge. No, faith that we are called to have is active. It's living. It impels us to action. Yes, we are saved by grace through faith. And we learned about that when we were um, looking at Ephesians 2. We are not saved by works. Very clear. What this means is that we're not saved by the volume of good deeds we do. That's not what makes us right with God. God doesn't look at us and go, okay, you've done this, 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 this. Great, you're perfect. We are saved by faith. However, we are saved by a faith that works. 
a faith that is active. In the same Ephesians 2, Ephesians 2.10, it says that we are saved by grace through faith. And then later it says we are saved by faith to do good works prepared by God. So God doesn't save us, you know, we, we, get, we, we, we have faith in God and then we sit down on the couch. No, we get faith and then it says move, act. Apostle James puts it very well in James 2.26. It says, for as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. Our faith must call us beyond mere verbal utterance. Our faith must call us to action, to sacrifice. And I'll explain why this is the case. Why must our faith call us to sacrifice? I'll explain that shortly. But let us examine the word sacrifice. Now, sometimes, especially in a sort of biblical setting, you might think about sacrifice in terms of a ram or a lamb being caught in blood and everything. But, you know, I went to the dictionary to understand um, sort of what is the, the textbook definition of the word sacrifice. And it's, it says that it is the act of giving up something highly valued for the sale of something else considered to have a greater value. The act of giving up, giving up something highly valued to receive something that is of higher value. And that just triggers something in my mind. I'd never really appreciated. Sacrifice is transactional. We think about sacrifice as just giving up. No, there is a giving and receiving in sacrifice. It's transactional. So my advice to you is, if you are getting, if you're sacrificing something, and you're not getting anything back in return, then you're being scammed. Think about it. If you're giving up something of great value, and you're getting nothing back in return, that's a scam. My advice is, I'm not a financial expert, but my advice is to run away from such endeavors. In our day, we hear about sportsmen, entrepreneurs, businessmen, people who are at the top of their trade. And one thing that unites all of them is sacrifice. They give up time, hours, comfort, even relationships. Why? So they could be the best. People run thousands of miles so that they can run 100 meters in less than 10 seconds. That's sacrifice. There is no such thing as an overnight success. That's, That's a myth. There are only people who sacrifice large parts of their lives in exchange for their success. Another way that you can define sacrifice is the act of dying in exchange for living. Abraham was called to sacrifice something very dear to him. So too are we called to sacrifice certain things in our lives that we hold dear. So what are we called to sacrifice? Now, we know um, that God is holy and God is pure. And for those uh, he's called, they must also follow him. So there are many sins. We could spend months talking about sins and the vices in the hearts of human beings and things out in the world. We could talk about all these things. But really, there is one sin, the mother of all sin, and that is pride. For all sin is born out of pride. And pride is simply choosing our way of living instead of God's way of living. That's all pride is. And so the first thing God calls us to do is to sacrifice our pride or our ego. 
Now, our world is a world that is driven by pride and ego. It's all about a self. In fact, there is a, a movement, a self-love movement, a movement where it's about me and I. And some people will say, well, that, that's, that's not a, a wrong thing. Jesus Christ would say, love your neighbor as yourself. So it's, it's a biblical thing, self-love. And there are some famous people over the years who have pushed this gospel of self-love, which sadly has crept into the church. Some of them you will know. Some like Oprah Winfrey says, the more you praise and celebrate your life, the more there is in life to celebrate. Someone says, love yourself first and everything else falls in line. You really have to love yourself to get anything done in this world. And one of the most popular songs, I'm sure some of the oldies in here would know this song, right? And it's famous for this line, I did it my way. Who sang that song? Sinatra. That's right. I did it my way. It's a very, it's a, it's a, it's a lovely sounding song. But in a, in a very sad way, this is a song that people sing into an eternity without God. I did it my way, not God's way. That's ego. That's saying, I am God. My way, not your way. I know more than you, God. We live in a, a generation of people who live life my way, not God's way. That's why a lot of the products that we have, a lot of our popular products are, I this, I that, I this. We are the most important being in our universe. It's all about us. The self-love movement begins with I and ends with me. In our nations, one of the most important things we celebrate, which is an entire month, and we call it Pride Month. And I thought, of all the things we could name it, we have to give it pride. Pride. The mother of all sins. We put, we put ourselves before God. That's what pride is. And so you might think, oh, well, I, I, don't quite, I don't quite agree with you, Tommy. Self-love is not as bad as you're making it seem. Well, let's look at what Jesus Christ says. In Matthew 16, 24 to 26, he says, Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever will save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what, is it, what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? Again, Jesus says in John 13, 12 to 15, when he had washed their feet and put on his outer garment, he was down to his boxes, people, and resumed his place. He said to them, do you understand what I have just done to you? You call me teacher and Lord. And you're right, for I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should also do just as I have done to you. Again in Matthew 18, 1 to 4. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and were saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And calling to him, he put, and calling to him a child, he put him in the midst of them and said, Truly I say to you, Unless you become like children, 
you will never enter into the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. If there's one thing about the message of Jesus Christ time and time again, it is ego has no place with God. You can't say, I am following God, but it's about myself. I'm following God, but I'm about pride. I'm following God, but it's about me and I. No, he says, you, you have to be like a slave. You have to be not like the chief slave. You have to be like the lowliest slave. Well, you're down to your boxes and washing the feet of your disciples. There is no place for I in that. There's no place for my pride in that. If the one who created the whole universe can get down to his boxes, then what do you have? What is it you're holding on to? Christ says, tells us, he says, those who follow him must, number one, deny themselves. People say, you've got to follow your heart. Do what, do what feels right to you. If it feels good, do it. If it's, this, is my, this is me, this is what I feel like. Christ says, yeah, all right, I know that. But deny yourself if you want to follow me. Then secondly, you have to pick up your cross and follow him. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, a German pastor who lived during the time of the, the, the Nazi reign in Europe, um, and was later killed by them, says that when Christ calls a man, he bids him to die. That's what Christ says. Pick up your cross and follow me. And lose your life. But it's not, it's not losing your life for the sake of losing your life, because everyone can say I'm a heroic person. Lose your life that you may find life. More life. Number four, humble themselves. Those who follow Christ must humble themselves and become like slaves. Number five, they must be like little children to enter into the kingdom of heaven. You see, when the first sin ever in the history of the universe was when Satan had in his heart that I will become like God. It was the mother of all sins. It's led to every single thing you've seen today. One being saying, I will become like God. So why would God want to allow that back into his kingdom? We can't have pride. We can't have self. We can't have ego if we want to follow Christ, if we want to be part of his kingdom. The death of self-ego begins with this question. What does God want me to do? Not what do I prefer over God's word? The second thing that God calls us to sacrifice is our wealth. And our wealth is consistent of two things. Time, our money, our stuff. Now, it is not popular nowadays in the Christian circles to talk about giving up wealth, giving up our money to the kingdom of God. And there have been many years of abuse by people, um, so-called prosperity preachers who have manipulated people into giving up their, their wealth and abusing people. And so I know where that's coming from. I know where people, people have a, 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 an aversion for that. And yet, despite the false teachings that have gone up on over giving wealth and giving money, God still calls us, I want you to give your wealth, that is your time, your energy, your money. I want you to give it to me. Jesus teaches us, 
in Matthew 6, 19 to 22. Do not lay for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be. I'm thankful to God that we live, um, we are worshiping with a community of people who are dedicated to giving of their time and their wealth to God. Um, for many years, people have sacrificed to contribute to the building of this, um, to, to the building of this, of this hall that we're stand, standing in. And, and, and it's, it's encouraging. But God is saying to us that there are things in our lives that he wants us to give up. Sometimes we value our own comfort, our ease over what God calls us to do. Again, don't, don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying God is calling us to be poor or poverty. There is some type of righteousness in poverty. That's not true. This is not some type of r- r- trying to romanticize poverty, as many in our generation like to do. No, but Christ is saying to us, where is your loyalty? Is it what you have or is it God? Is it your time, your your comfort, your ease, your status in life? Or is it me? Where does your loyalty lie? That's why Christ, God is saying to us, I want you to give this thing. I want you to sacrifice this thing. And you see, the more value we place on the things of this world, the more difficult it is for us to serve God fully, the more value we place on God and his kingdom, the easier it is to let go of the things of this world. we, We can't do both. We can't do both, unfortunately. That's why sacrifice is important. That's why you can't get away from sacrifice. God is always asking us this question. And that's why he asked Abraham, sacrifice your son, your only son whom you love, who is Lord over your life. Is it your pride? Is it your comfort? Is it your wealth? Topic of faith and sacrifice boils down to two questions. Is God faithful? And will I get out more from it than I put in? Now, this sounds British and sounds, not British, sounds um, transactional. Like I'm, I'm, getting, I'm having a, a, a transaction with God. I'm getting something out from God. But we as Christians have to read the Bible for what it actually says. Christ always speaks to people in transactional terms. He says, give this up and I will make you this. Right? Stop selling fishes. I will make you fishes of men. You know, give up your life on this world and you'll find it much more. Right? Give this up and I will give you far more. So God speaks to us in transactional terms. And sometimes we can, we can get ourselves in, in a model. We can say, you know, I'm doing this this." good things, these good works, because I'm just doing it because that's what God wants me to do, and I'm doing it. That is good. Nothing that's not good. But you are getting paid from it. Again, the idea that there is free stuff that you work for free, that, 
doesn't work in God's economy. In fact, God says in, in, in the Bible that the workman should not labor for free, but the workman should be paid for his services. The person who works and is not paid is a slave, and God does not believe in slavery. Let me explain this to you. You, you have a neighbor who is in great deal of, of need, and you help that neighbor, and you, you sort that neighbor out. Who pays you? You don't get paid from that neighbor. They don't, get, they don't pay you the money you use to drive the petrol and all that. Who pays you? God pays you. So you are doing it for a payment. It's just not on earth. And so there is a transaction here that we have to remember. That's why, that's why it says that we should work as unto the Lord. We should serve as unto the Lord. Why? Because he is the one who ultimately rewards us. And so we, have, we ask this question. One of the most difficult parts for us is, yes, you're calling me to sacrifice. You're calling me to step out in faith. But who's going to sort me out? Who's going to look after me? And at the bottom of that question is, is God faithful? <laughs> and will I get something better in return? That's at the heart of the question of who's going to sort me out, Lord? If you tell him to give this up. There are people in this room that you are going through some questions here. You're about to make some big decisions. And you're saying, who's going to look after me? You're asking those questions. Is God faithful? And he's going to give back to me more than I have put in. And so we go back to Genesis 22. And after Abraham had done those things, and the angel of the Lord in verses 15, I read from verses 15 to 18. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, by myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you. I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of the heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gates of his enemies. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. Abraham offered up one son in sacrifice, and he got nations back in return. Nations back in return. The Arabs, the Jordanites, the Qataris, the Yemenites, the Israelis, that entire part of the world, they're all biological descendants of Abraham. I'm very into looking at um, history, ancestry, going back and all that kind of stuff. And if you look at the names of the people, the children that came from Abraham, from Ishmael, from Isaac, from his other um, concubine, um, Keturah, later on, all these ones were the ones that populated a place called the Middle East today. When you see Sheba, Didan, Sheba, Yemen, Didan, um, uh, Saudi, it, it, the Ishmaelites, the Arabs, are, their father is Ishmael. When you see all these names, you're like, he literally populated an entire part of the world. He gave up one son, and then he had nations in return. But even greater than this, he had a spiritual nation far greater than the biological one that he produced. Every single person in this room, be you Indian, be you from the Americas, be you from Europe, be you from Africa, if you have faith in God, 
You only got to this place because of this man. And he is your spiritual father. That's why it says he will be the father of nations. And through you, all the nations of the world will be blessed. And we know how that came about. That came about by the Messiah, the ultimate promised one that came from the line of Abraham through Isaac, through Jacob, through David, down to Jesus Christ. And so we ask that question again. Oh God, really keep me. Will he he, he sort me out? It says in Romans 8, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for all of us, how will he not also with him richly give us all things? And that's, that's basically speaking to the fact that Abraham almost sacrificed his son, but God went all the way through and sacrificed his only son. God sacrificed his only son completely, obliterated him on the cross. Why? So that you can become a son and a daughter of God. And then he reminds us that if God went through all that trouble, went through all that trouble to sacrifice the one that is described as the very image, the very projection, the very representation of God, if God went through all that trouble to sacrifice him, the one who was there at the beginning, when the first star systems were being made, the one who is described as the word of God, the one who is described as the son, the beloved son of God, he went through all the trouble to sacrifice him, to die on the cross. You think God's going to withhold security from you? Do you think he's going to withhold finances from you? He's not a stingy God. He's giving, he's giving you everything. And he's saying, that thing in your hand, I want it. I want that thing in your hand. Why? Because I want to know if you place that thing as God over your life, or you place me as God over your life. And the promise we have from God is that he will sort us out. Abraham was a fatherless man. Later, God changed his name to Abraham, father of many. And he's saying to you today, there is so much more that I have for you. But if you're holding on to that thing, it's going to be a difficult one. So I'm going to invite the... uh, Worship team back on. Yes, God is faithful. And yes, He will provide to us much more than we sacrifice to Him. And that's why it says in Hebrews 11, verse 6, it says here, And without faith, it's impossible to please Him. For whoever draws near to God must believe that He exists and He rewards those who seek Him. Our reward ultimately is not from man. Our reward ultimately, and the one we desire, should be from God. But what must we do? We must be diligent seekers of God. We must come to God and say, that which is in my hand, it could be a habit that you have held onto for so long. God says, put it down. I have something greater for you. It could be a career that you've, you've, you've looked to for, your, for the entirety of your life so far. God is saying, I have something greater for you. And so, church, 
faith must always come with sacrifice. But we must always do remembering that God has in store for us much more than we could ever ask or think for. So, Father, we thank you because you love us. You have us in the palm of your hand. You know where we hurt. You know our needs and our frailty. But we thank you because you've given to us everything along with your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you because you said that you will not withhold any good thing from us, your people. And so, Father, I pray, oh God, for those in this room who are struggling to let go of that which is in their hand. I pray, oh God, for faith. Quicken hearts, Lord. Help us, Father. Release us, Lord. That we may be fruitful like Abraham. That we may bear much fruit and gain a greater reward than what this world has to offer us. We thank you, Lord, because you are forever faithful. In Jesus' name, amen.